In Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So today is June 5th, and June is um, considered Pride Month or LGBTQ Pride Month. And uh, as always, you'll see lots of people and companies changing their profiles, their logos uh, to commemorate Pride Month, which um, in some ways it's good. Sometimes the commercialization of it can be seen as more a sign of virtue signaling or trying to show that you're an ally because it could be profitable or make you seem a certain way. So I always have some mixed feelings when I see companies changing their logos just for the month to have a rainbow on it or somehow embrace pride. In some ways it's good, but in some ways you can feel uh, something disingenuous about that. Um, But people can have uh, their own mixed feelings about pride overall. Um, and so I wanted to start off talking about that because I think for me, it comes down to human rights. And so any human rights being trampled in some way or not being fully given is an issue for all of us to consider whether or not you are part of the LGBTQ community or not. Um, we should be concerned with all human rights. And so when we see a group like the LGBTQ community still not receiving rights, even here in the United States, not being fully treated as equal, but especially across the world, uh, we would all, I think, uh, want to be involved with promoting those rights. Uh, But I think there's reasons why people don't get involved, which come from a variety of factors. And I wanted to talk about some of them today, because I think oftentimes people who maybe consider themselves open-minded or progressive or um, that they care about all people sometimes stop short in helping certain groups and the LGBTQ community can be one of those groups and I think that's unfortunate. Uh, To begin with, this term pride can itself give people some mixed emotions. Pride as a feeling can give people mixed emotions. We often think of pride as a bad thing that you shouldn't be too proud or to have pride. But uh, like many psychological traits, uh, in a healthy amount, it's actually very good and you need it. And if you don't have it, that can be bad. When it becomes too much, that's when it's a problem. Just like having some kind of self-regard, feeling good about yourself, that's good. But if it becomes too extreme, it can go into some kind of inflated sense of self and narcissism. That's very unhealthy. But there is a genuine pride that we can have in ourselves, in accomplishments, in relationships, in things in our lives that is quite good and healthy, a genuine pride. So to begin with, pride is not something bad. Uh, It can be good in the right amounts and for the right reasons. 
uh, if we recall the book uh, Humble that I read a few weeks ago and discussed on the show, uh, humility is not about thinking of yourself as small or less than, but actually of seeing yourself as the right size, as seeing yourself as who you are and what you are, which means you would recognize your strengths and the good things about you. And so coming back to this um, concept of pride when it comes to the LGBTQ community, some people will say, well, why should you be proud of your sexuality or someone who is straight and uh, cisgendered might think, well, I, why would, I'm not proud of being straight. I just am straight. And so why are these people proud of it? And why do they think they have to broadcast that in some way? And so th- the reason why people have pride about their sexuality or being gay or being part of this community is not because that in and of itself is something that they're saying they're, they're proud of. Um, but it's more that when you've been told you have to hide some fundamental aspect of yourself, that you've been um, persecuted, bullied, been not given full human rights for some aspect of who you are throughout history and continuing, then you can likely develop a sense of wanting to have pride for that when you can be public about it or to show that. Um, Different, but I remember reading just last week, The Happiest Man on Earth, Eddie Jaku, he talked about being more proud to be a German than a Jew before the Holocaust. And so even his Jewish identity was less prominent for him than his uh, German identity. And of course, when his German country started to try to exterminate uh, Jewish people, uh, all of that turned on its head. But we can see that he then was more proud of his Jewish identity because it was being attacked and persecuted and literally people were being killed and he was almost killed because of it. Slightly different, but it did make me think of that same concept that um, aspects of our identity can be can change how we identify with them, how strongly we identify with them, how we feel about them. And if any aspect of our identity starts to be persecuted or rejected or um, lead to being discriminated against, we can feel more pride or wanting to show that I am this and I'm allowed to be this and I'm proud to be who I am and this aspect of who I am. So we have to be aware of this when we think of arguments that, oh, pride shouldn't be part of this conversation. It's not that it's just pride for pride's sake. It's pride for being um, told you should not exist being the way you are, or even still being told you should not exist, or it's unnatural or uh, immoral, or all these horrible things that people still think and say towards people who are uh, part of the LGBTQ community. So that's that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, another thing I see get in the way of people supporting LGBTQ rights and individuals in the community is especially prominent with men where there is such a strong homophobia or f- and a fear of being seen as not straight that makes men feel even more on guard about making sure that no one thinks they are gay or that they are not that they are indeed straight um, and so I've experienced this myself when I have made posts or I one time posted a picture that I was going to the pride parade in 
Los Angeles. And I got many comments from people saying, are you gay or are you part of the community? And that's why you're going. Um, and I felt some of that could have been a curiosity, but also was just because there is this sense that as a straight man, let's say wearing a rainbow t-shirt or a rainbow logo in some way, most people would assume that you're not straight because they would think that you're afraid of that risk of being seen as not straight or being seen as gay. And so I think there is, unfortunately, in some ways, more pressure on men or this uh, anxiety about supporting the LGBTQ community because it might uh, appear that you are part of that community, which is multi-layered because that should not be a bad thing, but also um, that just shows this fear we have and also this association people might put with masculinity and sexuality which don't have to be connected at all. And even that, why should that be a sign of that to begin with? So um, that's another th issue I've noticed. Um, I also think there are uh, some other factors I wanted to talk about. One that is used at times when we're looking at something that maybe we don't feel comfortable with, we try to come up with reasons not what why not to support something is, well, there's some people that go too far or... There's some people that, um, you know, do things within a community that we don't like. And so we throw the baby out with the bathwater. But this is really more of an excuse than genuine reasoning. Uh, any movement, any idea, any um, social cause will have people in it that are extreme and too extreme uh, in, in an unhealthy way. So um, there can be people who are feminists who are trying to in and of itself, feminism is trying to bring about equality between women and men. But there could be some people in the fringes or the extremes that are anti-men or want to be violent or hateful. But that doesn't mean feminism is bad or you should not support feminism or support women's rights. Um, there can be people who are trying to bring about racial equality and then some people go too far within that and that makes you say, well, uh, I don't want to support them because there's some people that do this. Whatever it is that you believe, you can just tell me a few of your beliefs, a few of your political beliefs. I can show you people within that realm who are going too far, who you even probably wouldn't agree with the people who um, are doing those things. But it doesn't mean you still don't believe it or that someone else should not support what you're believing in because there's some people that go too far. So be mindful of that whenever you... Um, are not supporting some group that you don't point to just the people who are the most extreme, whatever that means to you, or that you disagree with within that, within that, that group uh, and throw it all out because of that, because you'll always have that. And then you can never support anything because there will always be people that go too far or in any movement. Uh, there's, it's not a monolith. It's not just one thing. There's people with many different ideas, beliefs, um, motivations, and ways of doing things. And so as a result, you'll find people that you will disagree with there, even if it's something that you fundamentally agree with. So I hope you will keep that in mind um, when it comes to supporting the LGBTQ community that even if you see some people doing some things you don't agree with, first of all, look at that. Maybe there's something to it. But even still, even uh, you might def fully disagree with it after reflecting on it and seeing what they're all about and why they're doing what they're doing. It doesn't mean bringing about equal rights for 
uh, parts of our population would be uh, something you wouldn't support. And again, any movement you believe in, any political idea you have, any social movement you support will have people that go too far. doesn't mean the movement itself or the idea is wrong. It just means this is part of um, human society, that we will always have people on the fringes or have extremes uh, within any type of movement doesn't mean the idea itself is wrong. And so I hope you will consider supporting, as always, all humans, but members of the LGBTQ community, not just in June, that's another part of this, um, you know, that people don't like, for example, with the companies in June changing their logos and the rest of the year having a more of an indifference, that it's not just a one month type of thing. Uh, the reason why it's this month, I believe, is because the Stonewall riots back in, I think it was 1969 in New York, where uh, the police were raiding this uh, bar that was part of the Stonewall Inn um, uh, repeatedly and really saying it was because of liquor license issues, but everyone knew it was because it was known as a place where members of the LGBTQ community would go. Uh, eventually they fought back and it became this, known as the Stonewall Riots and afterwards um, aspects of the movement became more prominent and there were the first uh, gay pride parades back then and so that has continued and even we see this sense of inclusiveness within the the terminology and I know I, I might definitely will say things wrong even the way I've been saying LGBTQ I know so I've seen LT, LGBTQIA plus uh, and different ways of making sure you're including everyone so we can see that the inclusiveness even within the community is something that um, has evolved or recognized it has not always included everyone. Some people like the term queer, which is, uh, you know, language being a living, breathing thing has evolved itself. When I was younger, queer was a very bad word that people would use a slur to, uh, that people would use primarily towards gay men. Um, and something you definitely would not uh, want to call someone or only if you wanted to be hurtful and harmful to them. But now that has been co-opted by the community and taken in as something quite um, acceptable. I'm sure people will still use it in ways that they mean to do harm, but it's evolved to include anyone who doesn't consider themselves um, straight or cisgendered, cisgendered and that they feel that that encompasses them better than any of the other terms. So we can never tell anyone how to identify themselves, but um, just some... Uh, information on that, something that I've been learning more about. And I hope you will continue, as I myself want to do, to educate myself to understand better uh, what what um, I don't know, because there's so much I don't know about what the LGBTQ community is experiencing. And because of that, when we understand it better, then you can be more helpful, more of an ally. And that term ally, we sometimes use it as a noun, meaning I am an ally, which I think is a good thing, but we should think of it more as uh, ally as a verb, taking action to, to help people. So if you just want the status, that means it's more about you. If you want to take the action, that means it's more about helping others and bringing about justice. So I uh, just wanted to share some thoughts on that. Likely throughout the month, I will bring up more topics and not just throughout the month, throughout the year and the years, because it's not just in June that I want to talk about LGBTQ issues, but definitely we'll put a bit more of emphasis on it um, this month. And I hope anyone listening, if you're 
a member of the LGBTQ community, you are a member of the human family. And if you are not a member of the LGBTQ community, I hope you will support all members of the human family and recognize that if you are having a hard time with it, uh, it's likely more a reflection of something that's within you than something it is about those uh, individuals who are part of that community. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In this segment, I wanted to talk about good goodbyes. Um, goodbyes are, are painful things that we experience as human beings, sometimes planned and expected, sometimes unexpected, but they're almost always painful. One of the more painful things we have to experience. It's actually uh, one of the things that can make us avoid relationships in some ways. We're afraid to get close because it hurts so much when the relationship ends. And so some people do consciously or unconsciously choose to live their lives in this way, um, fearing getting close or choosing to not get close because it's easier. And so uh, one way to look at grief is that it's the price we pay for having relationships and for having people in our lives that we love, that a relationship hurts when it ends because it felt so good, it was so beautiful to have. And so it can feel better, hopefully, to loved and lost than to have never loved at all, but easier said than done. Um, and so goodbyes are painful, whether they are partial goodbyes or a forever goodbye can make a big difference. But there are reasons why we even have rituals around goodbyes. Um, well, there's there's the, the Persian goodbyes when we're at a mehmuni or a dinner party that takes 30 minutes. It's not quite a ritual, but even I think that relates to some of this feeling we have of uh, separation and the pain of it, or sometimes I think it's also related to this dance of, of the tarof back and forth of, well, we want you to stay, or no, we have to go, we're going to stay. And so there's this 20, 30-minute goodbye. And as a kid, most, most kids remember uh, feeling like, well, why did you tell me to get my shoes on? We're going to wait 20 minutes by the door. But it becomes this, this whole process of, of saying goodbye. But the, there is the, the harder goodbyes that we have even more clear rituals for. And I think practically every uh, culture and society has ways of saying goodbye to the dead. They have rituals, ceremonies, um, practices that they they hold, which there isn't a right way or one way to do it, but formalizing it in some way can make it easier for the grieving parties in the community to deal with that loss. It doesn't make it easy. It's painful. We're trying to make it um, less painful and also in some ways more real, which initially can lead to more pain, but can help us to be able to work through it and to we never fully move on, but to move forward with life. Many people have experienced that uh, a loved one has died and they, they feel pain. They maybe have cried, but being at the funeral and the burial can have even more of this effect of making it real. Uh, even most people might have a closed casket, but just knowing that the person is inside the casket can be very painful but very real making it more concrete 
and different cultures might do different things, but many cultures bury the dead, and that can have many symbols, but there's this way of putting them in the ground and covering them, and there's a way of that finality of it, at least in this uh, physical sense, whatever your religious and spiritual belief might be of an afterlife, we're saying this physical body is, is no longer alive, is no longer part of our lives as a physical body, their memories, their love, all sorts of things can continue, but in the physical sense, they are no longer with us. And so we might think, well, what's the point of these? Or people even will sometimes say, oh, I don't want to go to the funeral because it makes me sad. It'll make me not feel good. And in some ways, that's the point not to make you intentionally feel bad, but to force you in some ways to face that pain of the reality of the death and the pain you are experiencing by losing that individual. And to go through that collectively can be better at times than to go through it on your own or to avoid that. Um, You know, death is a really peculiar thing. It's very hard for us to understand it. You know, life also is strange when we think of life being created that two people come together and they create a life and now we have this baby and this living thing um, that we love and and we cherish but it can be this weird thing to think of well what if that living thing wasn't there or what if there was twins and there was two of them and we we can't really quite comprehend i think or fully grasp what that means and similarly death has that same feel that something that was here is now gone and, and what does that mean? Um, I was thinking of this in the context of the brain as this predicting machine. And we can even just, um, you know, not just the brain, but our whole body, but essentially maybe making it simpler, say it that way. The brain as this prediction machine, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, my loved one died, but I still see them or think about them. Um, or I thought I heard their voice or I could have sworn I was walking the street and I saw them. Uh, there and I, I got closer and realized it was someone else and so there's many things there one is also when we're longing for something looking for something we're more likely to see it uh, if you're thirsty and walking through a, a desert you might see an oasis you might think you see water because your your brain your body is looking for that water and wants to make sure it doesn't miss a chance of seeing it so it will likely see it even when it's not there and so when you're missing your loved one you are likely to still see them in places because you're missing them, wanting them so much. Another aspect of this, though, is the brain is a predicting machine when you've had this um, person in your life for so many years. Of course, the expectation is still that you're going to see them again. Or uh, if you used to see them at your house, now you might be imagine them sitting in that same seat they used to, to sit. It makes sense that your brain might see that or uh, predict that in in some way and so uh, the, the plasticity of the brain and looking at this and trying to make sense of the death it can make sense that it takes time to really have it settle in that that person is no longer there that the expectation of seeing them in the physical form has to go away but that just doesn't change overnight it'll take some time so this can lead to this confusing state where we know someone is dead but in some ways we Maybe think we see them or we, you know, heard their voice or we could have sworn we heard their voice or we realized we, um, you know, people have this experience like, oh, I thought of calling my, you know, my mom or dad who's no longer alive. And, and people even get 
upset with themselves like oh how stupid why would i think to call them they're dead but of course your brain it goes back to what it used to do and something happened it's like oh i'm going to call my mom or call my dad but now that no longer can happen so it can make sense that it's still going to make those kinds of predictions or those thoughts comes to its mind or people even find they're driving to the person's house or or doing something they used to do and especially we can see these things happening on autopilot so we have to consciously remind ourselves of this change or this thing that has happened um but going back to that goodbye as i mentioned to start the segment there are painful painful things that we go through i remember uh, in graduate school in one of my internships i really appreciated our supervisor said what do goodbyes feel like or what do you think about it? i remember just thinking of blackness or darkness and something just so painful about that thought of a goodbye and they were helping us prepare for saying goodbye to our clients uh, of course both for ourselves but as therapists how to help our clients who at this um, a clinic were teenagers and children to deal with that goodbye and how to process that with them and how to make what could be painful for them we'd been seeing them sometimes for you know seven eight months up to close to a year saying that goodbye and i remember how valuable that was to really think about it and what we tend to do with uncomfortable things painful things is we want to avoid them which is just a natural response and reaction something doesn't feel good you go away from it and so unfortunately many people because of that they avoid goodbyes or they avoid thinking about the goodbyes or making them as real and so we often don't put the thought the effort and the time into those goodbyes which is actually quite painful for ourselves and those around us we don't want to think about it as well just you know disappear without saying anything or um, you know maybe it's not going to happen we kind of are staying in denial and so we avoid it until it's too late and then we just deal with it on our own and this is not a healthy thing for our relationships and something that we want to practice and something that from a young age we can teach our kids how to deal with goodbyes actually in those same uh, in that same internship i remember learning from our supervisors how games like peekaboo and then hide and seek are a way for children to actually get some more practice through play when it comes to goodbyes and so maybe you've played hide and go seek with a young child and sometimes you know we can laugh at how cute and innocent it is that they'll tell you where they're going to go hide or they'll tell you where to hide okay mommy go go behind that door over there and then i'm going to count and come find you and so you know in our adult mindset of winning and losing and the right ways of what we think how you're supposed to do things we think well that's so silly if if you tell me to hide there um how is that playing hide and go seek the whole point is for me to hide and you have to try to find me without knowing where i am but for the child unconsciously they're not um you know uh, analytic experts and coming up with these games on their own but they just feel their way towards these things they get this chance to practice controlling the hello and the goodbye so you go hide behind the door and they know they're you're there but they don't see you and so they maybe miss you or they feel like they're away from you but they know they can come to you and then now they can control that moment when they you know say hello 
and they see you again. And even you've probably had this experience with them where there's this anticipatory excitement where they know you're there or uh, they know you're looking for them and they're already squealing or excited to have that experience. But um, for me, it was very eye-opening to recognize that a game like hide-and-go-seek, which just seems like a fun game, might serve this type of function of practicing hellos and goodbyes or trying to control hellos and goodbyes. Because as was pointed out by my supervisors then, we sometimes forget how much children don't have control of these hellos and goodbyes. Okay, mommy's going to work, daddy's going to work, they're coming back at this time, time might not you know, mean the same thing as it does to an adult. And so they leave and they come back and it feels like surprises are out of their control. And so giving them some control can be quite beneficial to them, or at least give them some practice with dealing with these hellos and goodbyes. And so we can show them from a young age that although it's painful to say goodbye, it can help us in dealing with losing that relationship, whatever it might be. So if, you know, they're finishing up first grade, it can be good to let them have a goodbye with their teacher to really process that and to be grateful for what it was in the relationship they liked and about the person and how they maybe are sad to be saying goodbye and they hope they can still see them or, you know, even if they know things will be different and give them that experience. But to recognize that although it's painful, that doesn't mean avoid it. So this is where my thoughts on a pain prevention philosophy of parenting come in, where if you only parent based on what's least painful in the moment or to prevent pain, you'll be doing your children a disservice because you'll be preventing a lot of growth that they can experience. So they can be, you know, goodbyes are always painful, but it doesn't mean there aren't good goodbyes or better goodbyes or ways that we can deal with saying goodbye and going through it that will be better for us. And it's something that we don't want to forget. Sometimes we just think of goodbye as a thing that happens that we don't like. And as much as we might not like it, it doesn't mean there isn't great value in how we handle it. All right, let's go into our last commercial break before I have to say goodbye. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, today, uh, big news in the tech world was that Apple announced its uh, has a new product, which is called the Apple Vision Pro, which is like these glasses, which is they say AR and VR augmented reality, virtual reality. And to be honest, I didn't see that much about it. I saw a lot of people posting about it. So I'm not here to give some details uh, about it, but a lot of people are excited about this and talking about how it's going to be the future, wearing these goggles that allow us to interact with the world in different ways. And so there's always this knee-jerk reaction to say, oh, it's going to be bad. And uh, the new technology is a bad thing. We've seen this since going back to even books where it was thought that that would make it so people would no longer memorize things. And so with every technological innovation, we have seen this. And so I definitely don't want to call it all bad and definitely not all good either. But just some thoughts about uh, virtual reality and what I sometimes see as a, a theme in various aspects of these types of technologies where we find ways to change the ways we experience the world. Maybe all technology does that, but especially these ways of uh, interacting with the world in 
particular ways. Um, I feared, or I thought sometimes about this earlier with virtual reality, that there could be this tendency for people to, to go into virtual reality and go away from their actual reality. And definitely not the first person to think about this. There was a great book, and then I saw the movie Ready Player One, um, which which looked at this, and and people are just you know enjoying their virtual world where they can be a queen or king or you know an athlete or whatever they want to be, and that feels much better than their actual lives. Um, another thing related to this type of movement or mindset is is getting rid of problems or things that f- don't feel good, and, and so I've seen this word things that try to simulate a partner like a relationship partner a virtual boyfriend or girlfriend or things like that where often people will say what's you know in kind of a joking way tongue-in-cheek but there's something serious to it that well when you have this kind of partner you don't have to worry about having arguments or having a fight and that seems to be the plus and so uh, i'm not here to argue that arguments are fun or having a disagreement is fun but we often are striving towards something that just eliminates the reality of it, but because we want to eliminate something that's unpleasant about some kind of an experience. So what makes relationships valuable, of course, there's a lot of the the things that feel good even in the moment, but what makes people closer is to go through the challenges that are part of a real relationship. And so sometimes we are drawn again as with a lot of media, social media that we've seen and technology towards the surface types of things. So a relationship is good when it feels good all the time, or, um, you know, life is good if it's always feeling nice and never feeling down, but that usually leads to a surfacey type of a feel. So if you don't put in any of the hard work and the experience, but now you're just the top athlete and you go, you know, play in the World Cup and win, yeah, that might feel really cool and has this exhilarating experience if it's made to feel very real in that moment, but it won't feel as real as going through it as an actual uh, human being and going through that process of everything that goes into it, including the difficulties and the losses and the pains that come along on that road to get there. So that's one thing I am concerned at times about when I see certain technologies or ideas that people come up with where they are focused on making life something that just doesn't ever feel bad and not recognizing what's lost in that. So thinking that if we remove the pains or remove something that's uncomfortable about something, then it's good rather than realizing that that sometimes takes away a lot of what makes something meaningful and has value. So, okay, you're going to be a parent, but you're never going to have to uh, you know, deal with your baby crying or something like that, you know, but that's part of what makes you close to your baby is going through those challenges with them. doesn't mean it's pleasant when they, they cry or they wake you up crying, but that's part of what creates the bond or the depth of the bond that you will have with your, your baby and your child. And so we have to be aware there could be unintended consequences of removing what seems like the challenge. And that's often what technology does. For example, There's an illness and we come up with a medicine that um, cures that illness or saves people's lives. And that could be great. But I guess we can look at what I'm talking about, like the side effects. What else happens 
when you do that, when you use that that treatment. So uh, that's one thing I'm concerned about is just focusing on a little bit different than maybe this product here with the, the Vision Pro, but some of these technologies or the things that people think they're supposed to be looking for. I think it does make people a bit confused. I've even heard people somebody say that, oh, well, how great to have a partner that, uh, you know, never upsets you or makes you feel bad. And this is actually what some people do experience when you uh, date someone who is an extreme people pleaser. They might never want to let you down and focus on making sure you're always happy and never upset with them and never do something that you don't like. But what people tend to experience if they're with someone who is an extreme people pleaser is that they get really frustrated in the relationship because things don't feel genuine or they don't really feel that close or usually there is some things lurking beneath the surface that start to come up. But overall, they don't feel that close to someone if they're always just agreeing. So as much as it might seem like our knee-jerk reaction that that's pleasant because it's unpleasant when someone disagrees with us. It doesn't feel good to actually be in a relationship with someone who just agrees and says everything you're saying is right. You basically are by yourself in a way if someone is just being you or disagreeing with everything you have to say. Um, the other thing is, you know, about this virtual reality is that it can in other ways take us away from our actual reality of experiencing our life and what we need to to work on and deal with. So um, if you have a problem, we tend to do a few things. One is we might do something about it, but very often what we also do is we can avoid our problems. So avoidance is a defense mechanism that we all use to varying degrees in a variety of ways. Using drugs can be a uh, form of avoidance. I don't want to feel what I'm feeling, so I will rather than deal with it or tolerate it and, and see if I can get through it. I want to feel something different. Procrastination is a way of um, avoiding and, you know, variety of other things that we might do. And so virtual reality can unfortunately create this very uh, strong, powerful, and it feels like reality. So it can be even more uh, vivid in what we experience way of avoidance that I think can be um, concerning that people will turn to this as I was saying earlier, can this be a way that people just choose to create a better virtual life than to work on their actual lives and through that their actual relationships? And we, we don't really know what the effect of that will be. How will people feel? Well, maybe, yeah, husband and wife, they both will be doing this and maybe they're okay and they feel all right. I just think their own relationship will, will be, you know, unfortunately facing significant uh, deterioration and won't be much there, but maybe they'll feel good. And so maybe to some people, this seems okay, but we'll have to see what happens there. Um, you know, I don't want to do a just dystopian type of mindset or negative pessimistic view of things like virtual reality. I think there can be some uh, big benefits too. I've seen some movement towards this. Well, they've, they've done this in a variety of ways before even virtual reality, but in helping people, for example, with phobias. So I've seen like flight simulators that they use because what we know about phobias, it's really about a lot of things in life, but it's very clearly demonstrated with phobias is that the only way to get over a phobia is to face it. You know, I do a lot of talk therapy, but you can't talk your way out of a phobia. Sometimes, you know, we have this kind of a myth almost about psychology and therapy that, you know, you uncover this repressed or suppressed memory 
and then once you unlock that everything just melts away so if you're afraid of snakes because one time you saw a snake in your yard and got scared and we find that memory and deal with it like now you're just not afraid of snakes anymore it doesn't work that way really the only way you get past this fear is right now you have this fear of the snake so you think about them see it you freak out well you have to uh, have as many experiences where you encounter that thing that you found was scary and see that you're okay and now you feel less scared and more and more your anxiety and that fear subsides so um we, we sometimes will call this systematic desensitization where you first might think about the thing you're afraid of might talk about it then might see pictures of it and eventually move up to even holding or experiencing whatever it is let's say you're afraid of flying going on a flight afraid of elevators going in an elevator and, and seeing that you're okay but virtual reality can actually have um, a lot of ways that can help people do this especially as it becomes more realistic to facilitate things like facing your fears in a safer controlled way even safer and more controlled way which can help build up to that in ways that might be easier let's say for example flying it's not that easy to get on a flight to keep testing that fear or to keep getting over it and fear of certain animals or certain things that could be helpful um, in other forms of therapy as well there can be ways that using virtual reality and these types of augmented reality i think could be very helpful um, i also wonder if it could be helpful in helping us understand other people's experiences more to have more empathy already if we see pictures of people who are hurt or going through something if we hear about some war we get sad but then if we see images of of children crying or uh, you know even worse killed we have a stronger reaction so i think i've already seen um, some demonstrations of this that for example you can wear a virtual reality headset and go to some hospital in some area that is in need of help and see what it's like walk around in the hospital and actually you know feel it more closely and i think that might actually help people get more involved in wanting to to help one another so that's another way that i think it can be beneficial in making us understand each other's experiences even more closely we'll never fully know what it's like to have anyone else's experience but we can get closer to that we can get a better understanding and so i hope um you know that that's somewhere where virtual reality maybe can play a role and we'll see see about that so you know we're, i'm interested to see what happens with this i've barely seen anything about this new product but i know it's not the first of its kind and there's many like them and there's a lot of movement towards this and you know in some ways even our phones have become a different version of this you don't wear it on your head but it's a way that we now experience the world much more through our phones than we um you know maybe of course did before they existed and we couldn't experience them before but there's a way that we experience our life very much through them in a way that's that we might not even realize how attached we are or i have this this fitbit on my arm i'm looking at and it really is like this almost extension of myself that uh, when I'm not wearing it, I almost want to tap on my wrist to see what time it is, but, but my wrist doesn't tell me unless I'm wearing the Fitbit. Um, so there's ways that we start to get uh, become one with um, the uh, technology around us. 
and the, I don't know if that's the singularity, but there's ways that we can get more connected to the, th- the technologies that we have in ways that become seamless. And so I think it might be natural that these types of headsets are going to be something we encounter more and more, and maybe that's just going to be the future where everyone is wearing these headsets. Something about that is very, feels very cold and disconnected for me, but, you know, um, a lot has been said about technologies in the past that felt that way too, so maybe something different will come of that. But I do hope that we recognize the value of challenges and pains in our experiences, not that they're feeling pleasant in the moment, but if we just think of advancement as taking, getting rid of those, there are some that we actually maybe should not. Often that is the case that if we get rid of things that are hurting people in certain ways, that can be very helpful and what really progress is all about. But I think sometimes when we just use that as the measuring stick, that if it's painful, get rid of it, we might be missing on some parts of the human experience that actually will have other consequences as well. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. A big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fahid Zan Zendegi Azadi. Mm-hmm.